Hello and thanks for tuning in. This is the radio ministry of Grace Community Church in Jefferson City, Missouri. Please open up your Bibles and join us. Here's Pastor Dennis Helton. Well, hey, thank you guys for coming out today that we can uh, just uh, get together and uh, worship. There aren't too many in Jeff City that uh, have the privilege of doing that. And so uh, I'm glad it just kind of turned into rain here. It could have been much worse than that. But uh, thank you guys for coming out. I know others had a little more difficulty. And uh, so at the same time, we will uh, do as we always do. Uh, I remember about a year ago, um, it, it was really bad out there. with snow and everything. We wound up having church because we didn't know what was going to happen. Annabelle and Ashton and, of course, you know, we... Um, Avell played bass, and Ashton played drums, and then Luke came in a little bit later, and there were so few of it. There were fewer than what we have today, and I just called on Luke. Did he have a special word for us today? And so he gave a message out of all that, totally unprepared, uh, and so uh, that that turned out to be uh, really a, a really neat time of worship. I'll never forget that. Uh, I think Mike was uh, Michael was here at that time, and I'm not sh- so sure. Uh, Zach might have made it. I'm not, were you here that day? I think you were here that day, weren't you? Mm-hmm. And then Carolyn, and I don't know if anybody else was able to make it. And it was bad. It was bad out, but we had it anyway because we didn't know what was going to happen. Anyway, uh, it, it's always kind of special, you know, just uh, however it turns out. You know, God is, is with us, isn't he? And... Um, so here we are. If you're following along in uh, our exposition of Second Corinthians, you know full well that uh, we are uh, in chapter 6. That's where we were at last week. And uh, we finished at verse 10. We took actually 10 verses that week in our exposition. Um, and what we're going to do here is today is we're going to begin at verse 11. And, and again, we have a pretty good section. We're just going to go ahead and finish the chapter. Um, a lot of it is self-explanatory, even though really today it's... I had a, I had a little bit of a tougher time trying to put 11, uh, 12, and 13, which is one section, in with the final section, which is 14 through 20, the rest of the, the, ch- uh, the chapter. And I couldn't see how they tied together at all. And I come to find out I wasn't the only one. I thought it was just me. I read several commentaries, and they said, this is a difficult thing to put together. And the more and more I read it, and the more I thought about it, and then started looking at some other commentaries and other thoughts, I go, okay, this does make sense. It does tie together. It's almost like he just changed his position and just started uh, you know, giving them commands, uh, a command, basically. Uh, Do not be bound together with unbelievers. And I was trying to put that together with, our mouth has spoken freely to you. <laughs> so that's what we're going to do today. Uh, he's been giving a defense of himself, Paul has. Uh, kind of an explanation of the ministry. And really that reached a climax at the end of chapter 5. But chapter 6 will continue with that, uh, maybe not as strongly, uh, although I think last week definitely dealt with what the ministry was about, what the Christian life is about. Uh, He laid a a great deal of stress upon his experiences that he had gone through, and they were very difficult uh, afflictions as he endured uh, them and hardships and uh, distresses and his 
physical persecution, beatings and imprisonments and such. That's where we were at last week. Um, what is startling is that Paul put so much effort into the Corinthian believers and here they are turning their backs against him. It, it's quite startling. He brought to them the knowledge of the truth of salvation and who God is. And here they are, they're ungrateful, they're unthankful of the ministry that he was doing. And matter of fact, even worse, they were questioning everything that he was doing. They were questioning his apostleship even. So it's very strange that that would happen, but in another sense, it's not strange because that is human experience that I think duplicates that countless times. Whenever people start um, doubting God's word or even uh, a particular ministry. And so the apostle defends himself here as he goes on through chapter 6. And he encourages the Corinthians here to open up their hearts because they were closed against Paul. And so they had opened up their hearts before and he says open them up again. So Paul was really personal here to the Corinthians. Have you guys noticed that? He just opens up his own heart to them and shows who he is. He just lets it go. He was always open. He's like an open book, isn't Paul? He's as honest and true as he can be. And I, I know that Paul knew the value of healthy relationships. Uh, and that's kind of what we're titling this today. Relationships with believers, and that's our first section, and relationships with unbelievers. And what do we do with those? So Paul was very uh, well aware that relationships in the body of Christ, good relationships are very healthy for us. We need good relationships. And I think Paul demonstrated that, don't you? Paul demonstrated it to his people. Um, he didn't restrain his love for them. The only thing is, is that they were restraining their love for him. It's hard to believe. They lacked room for him in their hearts. And he says, I open up my heart to you. Why don't you open your heart up for me? So what a shame it is after he has listed all these uh, afflictions in chapter 6. And he faces this. He faces them as he writes this letter. And it's really for the edification of all the saints. That's what it's all about. But it's a shame that they respond in the way that they have. They had turned from supporting him and turned to false teachers that were leading them astray. So in the first section is verses 11, 12, and 13. Paul has to plead with the Corinthians here to be open to him as he longs for an edifying relationship with them. He needed their love. Even as strong as he is, and he's depending ultimately to, on the Lord, he is depending on other Christians to help support him. And then in verses 14 through 18, which is what I had difficulty with so many days as I kept reading this over and trying to put these two together because I was, go I was trying to decide, am I going to quit at verses 11, 12, and 13? Stop there? I could have. But then I think this other section ties in it with so good, I just want that to flow in with it. Um, they had relationships with unbelievers that Paul didn't really have with them. The, the apostle had enemies in Corinth, didn't he? We've been saying that week after week after week. 
And those are those false teachers and even some of the ones who he had brought the truth to were now becoming enemies of him. And they were propounding a, really a gospel that is not the gospel of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. It was like almost a different gospel or a gospel that's added to what Paul had presented to them. So he has opponents and the ones who are in Corinth are to separate themselves from these particular opponents that that he uh, has. And, and they have influence on the Corinthians. Paul has such a concern to see that false teaching that's coming on them. He's really concerned about it. Have you ever had that for anybody? Where somebody is now buying into some things that are not really biblical. And my, you start out in prayer because you are concerned. They have made some statements or they are getting some thoughts now that are not really right. And we have to bring them back to the Word of God, which is really our only authority. There is no other authority than that. So why don't we turn to the Word of God in 2 Corinthians chapter 6. Why don't we stand and stretch for a moment. Read these words and uh, hopefully they will be helpful to us. Our mouth has spoken freely to you, O Corinthians. Our heart is opened wide. You are not restrained by us, but you are restrained in your own affections. Now in a like exchange, I speak as to children. Open wide to us also. Do not be bound together with unbelievers. For what partnership have righteousness and lawlessness? Or what fellowship has light with darkness? Or what harmony has Christ with Belial? Or what has a believer in common with an unbeliever? Or what agreement has the temple of God with idols? For we are the temple of the living God, just as God said, I will dwell in them and walk among them. And I will be their God and they shall be my people. Therefore, come out from their midst and separate, says the Lord. And do not touch what is unclean, and I will welcome you. And I will be a father to you, and you shall be sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. Father, thank you for this text. Thank you for giving us wisdom, truth. Thank you for the Holy Spirit. Help enlighten us now as we go into your word, that you be honored, and to help us to have relationships that would be honoring to you, within the body of Christ and outside the body of Christ in a biblical way. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, um, as you read that text, you might be thinking the same way I was thinking. How do those two sections tie in with each other? Or you might be thinking, well, of course they do. They flow right together. <laughs> and if you do, very good. And... That's what we do with interpretation. We have to keep asking, now what, what is Paul saying here? Why did he write this? What, what is this about? So context, keeping that context from before and after. Keep reading things over if you want to understand. and That's where it starts. And then ask for some help sometimes. If, if you know When you don't get the whole meaning, then there are other sources to go to. Lord has provided those. Anyway, we start off with here is uh, 
the relationships that we have with, with believers, our ma mouth has spoken freely to you, O Corinthians. Our heart is open wide. So he uses the mouth, he uses the heart. There was an accusation that Paul didn't love the Corinthians. Frankly, uh, they said that he had no place in his heart for them, that he was abusive, that he was manipulative, that he was using them, that he was using them for all sorts of different motives and maybe even money he has no affection for them that's what they were saying they were accusing him that he had no concern no care no love no heart for them and so he uses them for them to meet the ends the goal that he has for his own ego and so we realize that wait a minute is that true is if that's really what they're hearing is that true what, what is Paul's heart well, we go back to chapter 2, same book here, 2 Corinthians. Go back to chapter 2, look at verse 4. He's been using this kind of argument all the way through. It says, For out of much affliction and anguish of heart, I wrote to you with many tears, not so that you would be made sorrowful, but that you might know the love which I have especially for you. Does that kind of allow us into the very heart of Paul there. He really cared for affliction and anguish. He had tears, real tears. He says, I don't want to make you sad. I don't want to make you sorrowful. But I do want you to know I really do love for, love you and care for you. Chapter uh, 3, very next chapter, verse 2. You are our letter written in our hearts known and read by all men. I don't need letters, outside letters, letters that are endorsed by people that I carry from to you. You are actually written on our hearts. That's even better, isn't it? So we know what Paul's motive was here as, as he talks about that. And so he defines it by the character of, of his love. I, I believe we touch the real essence of what love is as we look at how Paul responds to the people. Um, it's not only the kind of love that a pastor has for his church, but the love that every believer should have for others. We all should have this same thought that Paul has here, even for the Corinthians. Look at the love that he has. So he says, Our mouth has spoken freely to you, straightforwardly. Paul says he spoke in a way that they would, that was straight up truth, the, the honesty here that comes out. Never does love hold itself back, right? It expresses uh, edification. So we don't want to hold our love back. Uh, he spoke it out. He says, our mouth has spoken freely to you. Look in Acts 20, verse 20. You remember the Ephesians? Paul went to visit them. He didn't have enough time to go into Ephesus, so he met the elders. And he says, How I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you publicly and from house to house. He said, I, I didn't ever hold back anything of you that was, for you that was for truth. For edification, I taught you, whether it be publicly or whether I even came to your house and we talked to the things of God. He said, I never held anything back. Love doesn't hold it back, does it? 
in verse 27, the same kind of thought. For I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole purpose of God, the whole counsel of God. Paul taught all the basic doctrines to them, didn't he? Didn't hold it back. So he gave them truth. And he, he dealt with what I think are very controversial issues. He dealt with the gifts of the Spirit in chapters 12 and 13 and 14 and, and the issue of tongues and what it was really meant for. It's meant for understanding, never some kind of babbling and some goofy kind of language that people can't even understand or you yourself can't understand. And he explains it in 14. Matter of fact, he says it very clear there. Uh, he did some very, what, uh, what would been controversial there, there were some issues in the church, uh, sexual issues that were going on, immorality. And he addressed that. He never held it back because he loved them. So when troubles came and there were problems in the church, he addressed it. And that's what love does. It, it, it encounters false teaching and false thoughts and things that are going on. Um, let's look at 2 Corinthians 1.13, I believe. 2 Corinthians, same book that we're in there. And we'll see what Paul said to them uh, previously in this letter. For we write nothing else to you than what you read and understand. And I hope you will understand until the end. He says there's, there's nothing that you have not known or read. Uh, I'm not holding anything back, right? He wants them to understand. And then in chapter 4, verse 2. But we have renounced the things hidden because of shame. Not walking in craftiness or adulterating the Word of God, but by the manifestation of truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. Paul spoke the Word of God. That's what all this is about. Paul preached them the very Word of God. He preached them Christ. He preached them Christ crucified. He didn't give opinion. He didn't give just his experiences to stand upon and but it was the Word of God. We've renounced all the things that are hidden. All the shame that's there. Right there and even in Corinth. So Paul did speak straightforwardly, didn't he? Because he loved them. If one loves somebody and there is a lion and it's outside the door and we're afraid somebody's going to get offended and say, oh, come on, you're, you're thinking negative out there. I could walk right through that door and that lion, there's no lion out there. But if you knew it, you're going to tell them. You don't want them to be maimed and killed by this lion, right? You love them. You care for them. So he spoke about God. He confronted their sin. He enlarged their heart, broadened their heart. It was open. It was candid. It was vulnerable here. When we talk about opening the heart, our mouth has spoken freely to you. So there he uses the mouth, his speaking to them. And then the next phrase says, our heart is opened wide. I make myself vulnerable to you. A lot of people don't want to do that. Because once we do that, yeah, we're very vulnerable. And yes, we can get struck down. People can use it against us. We have to be careful how we do things, but at the same time, we open the heart. It means to enlarge. He had a massive capacity here to embrace people into his, his heart. So what's he saying? There's plenty of room in my heart for you. Don't ever think that I don't love you, right? Paul is saying. You've probably heard that, but that is not true. I have a large heart for you. Uh, chapter 7, verse 3. Very next chapter over. Uh, 
I do not speak to condemn you, for I have said before that you are in our hearts to die together and to live together. We're here to have a true fellowship, whether we live, whether we die. You are in our hearts, right? Hearts open wide. Chapter 3, verse 2. You are the, our letter written in our hearts. We just read that. Known and read by all men. You are a letter. It, it, it's, you are in our hearts. Philippians chapter 1, verse 7. For it is only right for me to feel this way about you all because I have you in my heart. Since both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, you all are partakers of grace with me. What a fellowship they had. Fellowship in God's grace. So he says, I have you in my heart. Boy, he says that several times, doesn't he? You're in my heart. How close can they get? So we go back to our text. Our mouth is spoken freely to you. O Corinthians, our heart is open wide. Verse 12, you are not restrained by us. We, we, we're not restrained in any manner. Uh, restrained here means to make narrow, uh, means to, to confine. Paul had not confined or restrained his love for them, had he? His heart was open wide. No constriction. Sometimes the vessels can, can constrict. You know, think about the heart physically. And the blood vessels can get so narrow it can cause a, a heart attack. Sometimes they have to open up those uh, arteries. That's physically. Spiritually, he says, there's nothing hindering here. There's nothing blocking our relationship towards you. There's nothing in that sense. Uh, on the contrary, they they were restrained in their affections, though, weren't they? He was not, but they restrained themselves. Paul had squeezed out their lives. Or, or, or sque- they had squeezed Paul out of their lives. They had constricted their hearts to him. They had believed lies about Paul as like they were shutting him off. They weren't allowing him to be in their hearts. They turned away from him. He had given truth, turns away. He says, you believed the lies, you followed the false teachers. You've closed your heart to me. You squeezed me out. You don't care about me. You have no sympathy for me. This hurt deeply. Paul is really hurt. This is a whole letter. You can say, how can you see that just in through here? He's been begging them all book long, hasn't he? We're only halfway through. And that's what he's doing. That's that's exactly what he means. Can Paul, an apostle such as he, be hurt deeply? Yeah, he was. Very much so. They had broken Paul's heart. But you know what? He is not abandoning them. No matter what they're doing, no matter what they're saying, no matter what they're thinking, he doesn't abandon them. He pleads with them. It's awful easy to give up on people. Especially such a situation like this. Paul is feeling the sadness. You know what unrequited love is? When you've given love to somebody and somebody spurns it. We all have probably experienced that. You love someone deeply and you pour everything that you have and then do not have them love you in return. It's heartbreaking. It really can, can hurt somebody way deep down. 
and it's only the power of God's love that we continue to live in grace. Thank the Lord for that. And that's the hope that we have. Or it, it could destroy us. Some people are bitter for the rest of their lives for what one person or many people maybe have done to them. And here it's, here's the right attitude to continue to love back. Uh, it may not turn out the way that we want. I think in this case it, it kind of does for, for Paul. I'd like to thank that. Um, I think it's crushing to Paul. So this makes it real to all of us because we, we probably all have had this happen or will have it happen. I think we, we're all familiar with it. And I think that's interesting because we too have the same Holy Spirit. We can respond in that, that way. He says in verse 13, Now in a like exchange, I, I speak as, as to children. Open wide to us also. He says us, the rest of the ones that are along backing him. That I think is added there in the italics to us. First of all, it's definitely Paul because he's speaking that. But to anybody else that would have been along with him, whether it be somebody like Timothy or others. Uh, he spoke to them as children here. I speak as to children. What's he, what's he saying here? Well, he was their spiritual father. He's the one that brought them the truth of Jesus Christ. He opened his heart. He even let them see his pain. He wants them to open their hearts up. Make room for me. Make room for us in your hearts. That's what he's pleading. So, there's 11, 12, and 13. And that's why I wanted to go ahead and do it in the next section because otherwise we'd be done at 11.20, and I've never finished at 11.20. So I'm glad we did the next section. <laughs> so how does this first section tie in? I have Paul's love and his desire for them to open their hearts to him, right? Simple as can be. How does this tie in with be not unequally yoked with unbelievers? And that's what I wrestled with. It seems rather difficult to interpret unequally yoked with unbelievers, okay? He knew, in a couple of sentences, I'll, I'll give you the idea and then we'll support that. He knew as long as they clung to their sinful associations with his enemies, enemies of the gospel, he knew if they clung to them and continue that relationship that they had, that relationship between them and him cannot be restored. That made it all the more urgent for the Corinthians to follow his instructions, which is found in verses 14 through the rest of the chapter, 14 through 18. They need to sever all the ties that they have with the false teachers. That's the thought, the idea. And so what do we do with this text here? Do not be bound together with unbelievers. And we're going to see maybe what can help us with that. First of all, what's the meaning there in the text? But then also, how does it apply to other associations? Whether it be to um, a relationship uh, with a, a male and a female. Whether it deals with business partnerships. 
those kind of different uh, things. What, what do we do? What do we do about those? What does Scripture say, right? Okay, so we go on to part, part two here. James Denny, who does an exposition of this passage, he called it one of the most peculiar passages in the New Testament. I don't know if I go that far to say it, but that's what he said. That he says that in the midst of this tender appeal, that he should suddenly insert this admonition. What I'd like to say is this generous love does not preclude warnings, he says. As a matter of fact, one of the evidences of true love is admonition, to admonish. The subject of separation that follows, and that's what we're dealing with now, separation. Christians are told to separate, but how far, who to, what, what, what's the, the text of that? And we'll, we'll, in a moment we'll start saying what it doesn't mean. And then we'll start trying to get to what it does mean. But if you have true love, it means sometimes that you have to use truth, right? In Ephesians, it says, truthing with love. Now, you know, if we just give truth and we don't come in with love, that truth that you give is really absolutely worthless. They're not going to listen. Or if you just have, let's just love everybody and just ignore the sin that they have. Then you really don't love them, do you? Because Christ uses us to admonish each other, to urge each other, to exhort. Uh, so truth and love cannot be separated, can they? They go together. Um, Paul has a longing for the Corinthians to break away from these false teachers. He's saying, cut yourself off from the false teachers. Break yourselves away from the unbelievers in this spiritual relationship that you have. He says you shouldn't even have a partnership with these kind of people. Any kind of partnership where error is involved with God's Word. So we look at verse 14. We read, Do not be bound together with unbelievers. How many times have we heard that text? Now we see it in the light of the context. And that helps. And we'll see the context expand out further and even using Old Testament Scripture to see that, yes, that Scripture is bold and it definitely applies. So let's go to our part two, separation from unbelievers. How about our relationships with, with unbelievers? What, what about that? What do we do with that? Well, believers, unbelievers live in two opposing worlds, first of all. We cannot deny that. Christians live in God's kingdom. We've been transferred out of the kingdom of darkness into the very light of Christ. Righteousness, light, and eternal life. That's what Christians have. Unbelievers are from Satan's kingdom. You are of the... You are of your father, the devil. And it's lawlessness. It's dark. And there's spiritual death rather than eternal life. The two have completely different affections. The two worlds have total different beliefs. Totally different principles. Totally different motives. Totally different goals. Attitudes are completely different. And hopes 
are totally different. That is why a relationship, a close relationship with unbelievers cannot work effectively. They, the believers and unbelievers look at life in a total different perspective. This whole idea of we look for heaven to come, really an unbeliever doesn't care about that. Matter of fact, a lot of them would say they're agnostic or atheist, and really, what happens after you die? Well, either they don't think about it and they ignore it, or it's put up in front of them and they have to do something with it, and they would rather turn their head and forget about it. The fact of the matter is, is they have no hope. There is no life after this. There's no heaven. If you don't believe in God, then why would there be a heaven, right? They make it up in their own minds and now they have idolatry. How convenient it is. I can live the life I, that I want to do here and at the same time, yeah, I'll go on there to be with my friends and we'll just have a great good old time wherever that's at. Or you take it into reincarnation, which is something even worse. You can't ever get out of this kind of life. What do we do with people that are unbelievers? Do we ignore them? Do we get away from them? Separate? There are religious groups who do that. Down through church history, there have been many who do that. But biblically, that's not correct either. You can be in a family. You can have family ties. Does that mean we cut that off? Believers and unbelievers in that family? No, not at all. Doesn't mean we cut that off. How about we work our jobs in places where there are believers and unbelievers? Do we just quit that? Get our own business or work on the farm and not be around people? Or just work with Christians? We have Christian jobs, right? No, we know that's not right. Uh, sometimes we have to have business relationships with people. I'm not saying bringing them in to your business and being business partners, but I'm saying sometimes we have to carry on in our businesses, whether they be believer or unbeliever. Or how about, ooh, yeah, I believe in separation. I have to go to a Christian doctor. Well, if you have somebody who is an unchristian or not a non-Christian who is a better doctor at what he does, and you have a Christian who is really doesn't have a Good history. People say, don't ever go to him, is what he did. Who would you go to? Would you go to the Christian because he's a Christian, or would you go to the one who is much more adept at helping you out physically? I'd go to the non believer. So it, it doesn't mean that. Uh, we might even be neighbors. Rub shoulders almost with people who are unbelievers. Should we just say, well, I'm going to go to a place where there's a Christian neighborhood. <laughs> Does such a thing exist? How about, can you have a relationship with people that have the same hobbies? You might go to some place where they're teaching you of some art, some craft, whatever, and you say, well, the people there, they're all unbelievers, so I shouldn't be there. Well, I don't, I think that's, no, it's, it's okay. Um, you can even gr agree with unbelievers politically. They might take a conservative view that you do. That's usually not the case, if I've noticed. But it could happen. Or even social things, they might have an agreement with you. Probably not likely, but it could be. 
But where we're first focusing on here is the spiritual level. Spiritually, a believer or an unbeliever live in two different realms. You were of one nature and now you have a new nature. There are two different natures there between a believer and an unbeliever. And that is going to be where we're going to be focusing on here uh, in trying to sort this out. We see what it doesn't mean. It doesn't mean um, that we're to separate from um, the people in our family or, or in our jobs or business relationships and on and on and on with that. We are to be in the world but not of the world. We know that. So that's scriptures with that. So we have to use the truth of God on that. Why else would we be here if we're not to focus first focus on the glory of God, but secondly, why doesn't he just take us on up? Well, we have a work to do here. One of the main things is bring the gospel to people. Of course, there are other reasons, but I think that's very important what, what we do. So we take this text and we see where it first comes from. It's out of the Old Testament, at least the principle is. Do not be bound together with unbelievers. Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. I think we're familiar with that. I am the most uh, in my NAS. It says to be bound together. It's uh, meaning the same thing. If you were to turn to Deuteronomy chapter 22, back to the law in verse 10, we'll see that Paul is thinking of this one verse. Here in the law, he's giving them very many different kinds of laws. One of them is this. You shall not plow with an ox and a donkey together. And he literally means that. Have you ever seen a cow and a donkey working together? Of course not, because we see tractors in our time. <laughs> but there, you know, I think there are some that have used that, or you've seen westerns, or you've seen um, shows that go back to the 30s. My, my dad actually um, worked out in the fields uh, in their farm that they had uh, close to the river around Tuscumbia, Missouri. And as he grew up there, they had teams of uh, horses that would plow. They would make the furrows. Those horses were had the same nature. One horse, another horse, they have that horse nature. And there is no doubt that... And they used mules, teams of mules, and you know sometimes those mules could have their own idea what they would want to do. And he would tell a lot of the stories I know when I was a kid uh, about the issues they had there. But um, you you use the same kind of nature of doing that. You don't put an ox or a cow with a donkey. And um, that is the idea. Um, now, we as Christians have the opportunity to evangelize the unconverted. Um, we're not calling for complete isolation on the part of the church. There are the monastics who have done that. Uh, that's the monks. That is not what God willed for His people to do is to be monks, to set themselves apart from everything else and they look at their navel and study that and all the different things that go on in, in that kind of thought. We're not to go hide somewhere and pull apart from the world. Quite the contrary, we are to find unbelievers and love them and be their friend and be in a spiritual example to them. 
Furthermore, he's not saying you're to divorce your unsaved partner. First uh, Corinthians 7 talks about that. Uh, or to sever all your unsaved contacts. He's not saying any of that. You can't work, you can't play, or do business, or be engaged in common earthly enterprises with unbelievers. So we, we stress that. Say, well, Dennis said to, to separate. <laughs> Somebody could misunderstand, say, we, we are to separate totally. And so we're not saying that. What it means here in the immediate context, here in the Corinthian church, they had been assaulted by pagan religion all around them. Of course, that's where they grew up from. Uh, the city of Corinth bore all the signs of the religions that moved in that area there of great growth. It was a full-blown pagan system down to the very core of it all. It's kind of hard to sort that out when you grow up in that environment. And I think we live in a Corinthian world ourselves. And as soon as we become Christians, it's hard to sort some of the things that are worldly. Do I get rid of everything? Or are there some things here that I can still use to further than the gospel? Uh, what's our motive as we do some of the things that we did in the world? Is it bad? Is it good? We deal with that every day anyway, don't we? I still constantly deal with it. Should I be doing this? Should I be doing that? Should I, should I be saying this? Should I be saying that? Should I be going to this? Should I be going to that? Should I be seeing this, hearing this? All the time I deal with that. To be involved in the life of this culture, that's part of our Christian life, but we're not to be involved in the paganism. It's tough, isn't it? It's a hard world to live in. But we are to make a clean break where we know where God's commands and His Word says, this is what you do, this is what you don't do. Make a clean break. The Corinthians didn't do that as a whole. They didn't make a clean break. He says, don't be unequally yoked with unbelievers. The word there is huter azuego. Zugeo, I guess. Forget the way I pronounced it. Forgive me. <laughs> um, the donkey is an unclean animal by Levitical standards, right? So he's speaking literally of that donkey. And so it's an unclean animal. You can't take that and mount it together with a, an ox or a cow, which is a clean animal. That's the way the law put it. You can't put the two together. Two animals with two different natures. It's not going to work. Try it one time. You'll find out, right? Two different natures. They're not to be put under the same harness, the same yoke. That's the idea. So the apostle suggests right here at the beginning that the believer is to watch who he partners with. Um, you have a new nature. There's a different nature in the unbeliever. We don't have to be told that, do we? We know that that is what it is. Don't be governed by the principles of the world. There were, there were principles that used to go by what the world said. Now you have come over on this side. There are, those, some of those principles we see, those are the devil. We're not to be governed by that. So there are new values, right? That's what the Corinthians had. They, they had different values. And so things that are opposed to the Word of God, 
We are not to rebel against, but we're to grasp and cling to those. Our values are different, are they not? Our values are totally different. So when we start with the spiritual enterprise here, the two cannot be yoked together any more than a cow and a donkey can pull a straight furrow when under the same yoke or harness. They cannot do it. And that's the way it is with a believer or an unbeliever. That's the way it is when you get two people who have two different conflicting values. They cannot have the same goal of where they're shooting for. The believer and the unbeliever, different values, different philosophies, different principles by which they live their lives. Totally different. Don't be bound together with unbelievers, he says. Not to be bound together in any kind of common spiritual effort. If somebody believes in a works righteousness, righteousness salvation, and we believe that you're saved by grace, how can those two serve under the same yoke? They cannot. They're at odds. So the false teacher had brought in syncretism of the gospel truth. Take some of the things that Paul talked about, bring in some of the legalisms and the pagan thoughts and the mysticism, bring all that in. And you get something foreign to the gospel of grace. So Paul gives this command. You cannot go to their worship and become a part of it. Do you see what he's saying there? You can't be a part of that kind of worship that doesn't preach the gospel of grace. The kind that we preach here every Sunday based upon God's Word. Every Tuesday. The way that we understand that. What we believe, you cannot line up with somebody else and worship with them. Pray, even pray with them if they really have a different gospel. It deals with ministry. It deals with teaching. It deals with worship. Where there is a living the Christian life and to be bringing another one in with you in a relationship. And when we get married... It says the two become one. How can a believer and unbeliever become one when the other one has no interest in Christ, never talks about Christ? It's not what their focus is. What do you do with a relationship of two people and they're both not Christians? Well, that one needs to become a Christian. You Or you give them the gospel of Jesus Christ and see how they answer. Or you have to separate. You cannot be equally yoked or you will not be able to live the rest of your life in the freedom of the grace of Christ that you would like to. They were going to the feast that was involving idols. They were trying to befriend the people in the world and their families and their society by attending and being involved in the idol festivities that they had. That's compromise. And Paul knew that that was intolerable. That's a pagan religion. There are church forms today that have in really taken in some of this idolatry, some of the false teachings and Galatianism and some of the things that are not biblically 
prescribed. And you can say, well, it sounds good. It sounds right. Yes, but is it biblical? And our authority is the Word of God only. Nothing else. Does that sound radical? There is nothing else we can put our faith in. False teachers. Look in uh, 1 Corinthians 10, 7, and then 1 Corinthians 10, 14. He's saying a lot of the same things. Do not be idolaters as some of them were, as it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and stood up to play. That's going back to the time of Moses and the Exodus and the children of Israel who had gone through the, the Red Sea. And then what did they do? They brought out their idolatry. Nor let us act immorally as some of them did. And 23,000 fell in one day. There's the holiness of God. Drop down to, well, nor let us try the Lord as some of them did and were destroyed by the serpents, nor grumble as some of them did and were destroyed by the destroyer. Look at verse 14. Therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. I speak as to wise men. You judge what I say. Flee from that, that idolatry. The idea that it's something different from God's Word. Flee from it. Verse 20, No, but I say that the things which the Gentiles sacrifice, they sacrifice to demons and not to God. And I do not want you to become sharers in demons. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and cup of the demons. You cannot partake of the table of the Lord and the table of demons. A Christian and an unbeliever cannot worship together. And that's the thought. They cannot worship together. It's impossible. What does it mean in the general principle? Well, there's two opposing worlds. 1 John chapter 2. 1 John 2, verse 15 and 16. Do not love the world nor the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life. And those are the three that Satan used on Adam and Eve in the garden. It's not from the Father, but it's from the world. So he says, you can't be in both. You're the one or the other. James 4.4 4 talks about that. Romans 12.2 says to be conformed not to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of the mind. Glory to God. Make a clean break. Believers can't live in both worlds. Make a clean break. Don't cling to those elements. I think modern Christianity today has this battle. They want to blend Christianity with popular culture. Makes it popular. It makes it less different, less offensive, more palatable less narrow, less exclusive. Jesus said He's the only way. He's the way, the truth, and life. No man comes to the Father but through Me. That's not very kind to unbelievers, is it? I think it's very loving to tell them that. There's only one way. Yes, it's very narrow. Jesus said the way is narrow. The purity of God's Word, it's corrupted by compromise. The church can become useless, shameful, even blasphemous by taking on the things of the world. And what he does here, and these are machine gun shots again, just like we did last week. 
We're going to do the same thing in these self-explanatory passages now in our 2 Corinthians 6. He's made the statement. We've said what it means, what it doesn't mean. We've backed it up with other Scripture. And he gives you questions that you know. The answers are rhetorical. You know exactly what the answer is to be. They're axiomatic. That means they're self-evident truths. I don't have to elaborate on these. We could take a week, two weeks more if we wanted to. They don't need proof. There are exact opposites. And he says you cannot be unequally yoked with an unbeliever. You can't have a partnership business-wise with an unbeliever. You have two different values. You cannot have the same kind of thoughts. You cannot have a partnership in marriage with one who is not of Christ. You have to do something with that. And here's what Paul says. For what partnership have righteousness and lawlessness? So he gives the question, and he gives five of those kinds. Partnership is medica, and it really is like koinonia, very similar. It's a common sharing together. What common sharing together can you have in a relationship that where you have believer or unbeliever? What fellowship has light with darkness? That's easy to understand, isn't it? Light, dark. Where you have light, you don't have dark. It's a common biblical contrast. Jesus used it a number of times. 1 Peter 2.9, He says, He has called us out of darkness into His marvelous light. Dark light. 1 John says, We walk in light and not in darkness. Then He uses, What harmony has Christ with Belial? He might as well say, and that's what it means, Christ with Satan. What harmony do they have? Harmony. Uh, when you have harmony in music, and, and this is a, can be a musical term, but it goes even beyond that. M- by the way, the word for harmony there, for the musicians, I think this is really cool. It's symphonesis, which we get our word symphony. How it comes together. When you have people singing in harmony or you have a symphony, different parts being played, different instruments, and they come out in perfect, glorious music. Symphony playing different parts, they come together. It's not just a musical term. They come together in a common case. How can the cause of Christ come together with the cause of Satan? (laughs) It can't happen. Everybody knows that. These are easy, aren't they? I don't really have to spend any time with that. Old Testament mentions Belial quite a bit. Sons of Belial, they're worthless ones. Next one he uses, ah, What has a believer in common with an unbeliever? I think he's just being saying that when he said, do not be bound together with unbelievers. And he comes back out and says it again. To put it another way, what has faith to do with non-faith? How can the two function together? This is all God's Word. I'm not saying it because it's my opinion. Here it is. It's laid out in front of us. And you guys have probably used this many times to people to to warn them. Here's where it's at. How many times have people gotten burnt because they did not listen to that? And later on they say, I wished I would have listened to that. There's no common ground if you really are a Christian. The faithful and the faithless have nothing in common. Amos 3.3 says, 
So, so first of all, it's irrational to attempt to be unequally yoked with unbelievers. I think it's obvious by using these. There's one more. Verse 16, oh, what agreement has the temple of God with idols? Would you bring idols into the temple of God? Well, in the Old Testament, we find some kings who actually did that, didn't they? That is probably one of the most blasphemous acts that one has ever done. And really, if we link ourselves up with unbelievers in a partnership, here's how ridiculous it is. Here's how blasphemous it is. I think that's serious. You can't mix devil worship with the worship of God. It can't be mixed. Completely, totally separate yourself from that form of idolatry. There's no hope of commonality. And then, we've gone pretty well sheer fire here with machine gun shots, right? About as good as I can do. For we are the temple of a living God, just as God said. And what He does here, He takes some Old Testament passages, blends them all together. They're from different sources and we could look all those up. But if you have a study Bible, you'll have some where they're in capital letters. And that helps us out to realize that Paul is quoting here generally. Some of them won't have the exact statement, but he's using something that they should know. And here's the command. He's given the command. And he starts off with, I will dwell in them and walk among them. Isn't that a great promise? God is, is dwelling with us, isn't he? He is walking with us every step of the way. I take that with great comfort. And then he says, I will be their God and they shall be my people. Use an Old Testament. That applies to each one of us. Do you guys have that promise? Of course you do. If you're a Christian, you take great comfort. Go to the next verse. Therefore, and look at the command here. He's already come out and made the statement, the command in 14. He backs it up with statements that were axiomatic and now he gives Old Testament proof this is the same thing that God has been saying all along. This is not anything new. He confirms this. God said this, Come out from their midst, be separate, says the Lord. Do not touch what is unclean and I will welcome you. And I will be a father to you. It's not for our bad. It's for our good. He's a good, good father. We sing that song. He's a good father. He's a good father. He knows what's best for us. If we unite ourselves up with the unbeliever in the ways we talked about, we are being disobedient to the Father. You shall be sons and daughters to me. We're sons, we're daughters. He's our Father. He knows what's best. And then He says, says the Lord Almighty. He's the Father, but He's also the Lord Almighty. Take this, sink it in. These texts come out of Leviticus 26, 11 and 12. Jeremiah 24, 7. Ezekiel 37, Ezekiel 27. Isaiah 52, verse 11. He confirms all of this. He summarizes these Old Testament passages. Says God will walk amongst us. And then he says we're the temple of the living God. How can we unite with anything else? It's idolatry. And the blessing is here, I will welcome you. If you are obedient, I welcome you. God's arms are open wide. 
His arms are open wide. He's a father. I welcome you. I'll be a father. You shall be sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. Wow. That's the setting of that context that we've heard so much. Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. Does it help now as we take 11 through 13, that first section, with this last section as they tie in together? I think there was a reason why it was actually there. And so I'm thankful that I got to study that a little more and look in the context and try to take it the way that Paul meant. Let's pray. Father, we honor you and glorify you this morning. Your word speaks volumes. Help us to separate from the culture, people that would take us away from you. At the same time, help us to make an impact on people who need you. Help us to have the right words to give that unbeliever because that's the kind of love you want us to do. We don't run from the unbeliever, but we do give them truth. And then if they don't want the truth, we cannot buy into their principles and the things that govern them because their father is of the devil if they don't want the father who is the father of us as children. Thank you, Lord, for this morning and a special time of worship. We desire to give glory to you as we live your word out. In your son's name, amen. Hey, we thank you once again for joining us. We pray that this message would serve to edify you. And we say goodbye until next time. May the Lord bless you and keep you and make his face shine upon you. Till next time.